National Convention going on, and um, there's a lot to say about it, so I will do exactly that. <laughs> I will say a lot about it. That is kind of my job. Um, so I'll give you a little rundown real quick. Somebody very uh, interesting came after me on Twitter. Didn't really come after me. It actually was just it was a it was a fun exchange. We'll we'll get to that. I'll leave with that in just a second. Rand Paul tried to, you know, push Donald Trump on us, and he made some curious arguments that I will dissect for you. We have the RNC going, like, full pro-life, anti-choice, like, be scared of abortion on us. Um, You know, Larry Kudlow, Trump's top economic advisor, was talking at the RNC, and he was basically continuing to push a completely debunked philosophy and ideology of um, tax cuts for the rich and deregulation. So we'll talk about that. We got Kimberly Guilfoyle. Oh, you knew damn well I was going to talk about her today. <laughs> you knew damn well I was going to talk about that. Um, and then later on, we will continue to do what is now becoming my favorite pastime, which is make fun of Joe Kennedy. <laughs> All right, so without further ado, let's get started. Here we go. So a pretty funny thing happened the other day. I'm not going to lie. I was a little bit surprised by this. Um, Donald Trump Jr. responded to yours truly on Twitter. (laughs) It's funny because in my own mind, I'm still out here, you know, doing the YouTube show and just like fucking around with you guys. And when I'm on Twitter, I 
talking like I'm sitting in a room and fucking around with all you guys. And at a certain point, I don't know when it was, people started paying attention to me. <laughs> and I'm somewhat uncomfortable with that because I always just say whatever I want. And then now it's like, when you know certain eyeballs are on you, you, you feel like a little bit self-conscious. And like part of your mind is like, can I say that? But then, of course, since, you know, I'm me, the other part of my mind is like, who gives a fuck? Say it anyway. <laughs> and sometimes that gets me in trouble. But, like, you know, what happened? The other week it was the RNC used a tweet of mine in in an email they sent out, and I was like, oh, Jesus Christ, this is not what I want to happen. Well, now Donald Trump Jr. responded to me. I'll show you it. This is hilarious. So I tweeted, Trump Jr. backstage, hashtag RNC 2020, and you see cute little Kermit the Frog sniffing lines. <laughs> And he said, you must have me confused with Hunter Biden. (laughs) There's a lot to say about this. So, um, first of all, no, I don't. I was talking about you. You look like you were z-z-z-z-zooted, dog. Look at your eyes, son. Who are you kidding? Who are you kidding, dog? Who are you kidding? You know you were high as balls. (laughs) It's so obvious. But anyway, so no, I wasn't referring to Hunter Biden, but um, yeah, there, Hunter Biden probably is doing a bunch of cocaine, too, in general. So I don't know if you know this, Don, but more than one person on the planet can do cocaine at the same time. And I think you and Hunter are probably two of the people doing it. So, you know, I don't know. I, I thought this exchange was fun. You know, it didn't seem to... I don't think I was overly harsh. I thought it was more of a funny tweet, and I... I don't think, did he take offense to it? Maybe he did take a little bit of offense to it, but, um, I mean, listen, in his defense, the least bad thing about his speech was the fact that he seemed like he was high as balls on cocaine. If I was giving a speech at one of these major conventions, I'd do a few lines backstage. Why the hell not? (laughs) Why wouldn't you? It'll focus you. It'll make you more dynamic and entertaining. But, by the way, we'll get in a little bit to... His girlfriend's speech, Kimberly Guilfoyle, and maybe she had a couple lines too many. <laughs> maybe just a few lines too many. Many. Um, so it's funny that, you know, it almost seems like they he thinks that I would, I don't know, like defend Hunter or something. And it's like, I, of course I wouldn't. He's like a fail son who was born with a silver spoon in his mouth as well. Just like you. Like, all, I mean, all these guys got everything handed to them. That's obvious. Like, Hunter with the – everything that the Republicans say about Hunter is pretty much true. Like, when they say, oh, my God, he sat on a Ukrainian energy company board and got paid hundreds of thousands of dollars a month or whatever it was. I don't know if it was that much. But he got paid a lot for sitting on a Ukrainian um, energy company board. And it's like, yeah, he didn't know anything about energy. He didn't know anything about Ukraine. He got that position because it's corruption, and because Joe Biden's his daddy. Of course. Like, yes, everything they say about him is accurate. But on the flip side, everything Democrats say about Don Jr. is accurate. Sorry, dude. I mean, listen. You are where you are because of daddy. And daddy is where he is because of his daddy. You know, when you're passing down hundreds of millions of dollars, I mean, that that guarantees success, because even if you do nothing, you're going to be okay. And so, and Don Jr., I think Eric is honestly the smarter one. No offense to Don Jr., even though obviously he would take offense. But I think Eric's the smarter one than him. And, like, 
Trump handed off the businesses to them as he's being president. And I mean, what does he do all day? Like, dude, who are you kidding? You do what I do. Like, you shit post on Twitter all day. Only thing is, you don't have a YouTube show. <laughs> if you have a YouTube show, then you'll catch up to me and be doing what I'm doing, but just from a right-wing perspective. But you're not even on my level yet, son. Like, you just shit post all day on Twitter. That's it. So, anyway, listen, I'll, I'll say it again. I don't, by all means, snort away backstage. But I don't know who you're kidding. Look at your eyes. I mean, obviously you were on something. If I'm being kind, okay, he had a bunch of drinks backstage. That's me being kind. That's a lot less excited than if you, exciting than if you were doing lines. I, w- I would have more respect for Don Jr. if he was doing lines backstage before the RNC speech. I would have more respect for Kimberly Guilfoyle if they were doing lines backstage. I would join them. <laughs> I would join them. I, I don't like them, but I would join them either way. So, yeah, it's just funny. God damn it. I want, like, now that people in positions like this are paying attention to me, I might unleash the Kraken even more. Like, I might be even more obnoxious. Because, yeah, it's weird. It's weird that they, like, some, some of these people give a shit what I say. Like, stop giving a shit what I say. I'm going to make them stop giving a shit about what I say. Because I'm going to go so over the top that they'll be like, oh, Jesus Christ, this is nuclear. Okay, that was hilarious. Now we're going to go to Rand Paul. Let's get a little more substantive here. Time to get substantive. So Rand Paul gave a pro-Trump speech at the RNC. Um... I want to watch it and then break it down. There are good parts of it. There are bad parts of it. Overall, it annoyed me, and I'll explain after this. President Trump gets things done. When some in Congress wanted a so-called revenue-neutral tax plan, Donald Trump and I worked together to make sure that it was a true tax cut. I brought President Trump an idea for better, less expensive health insurance called Association Health Plans. Donald Trump overturned years of red tape and bureaucrats, and he made it happen. While others talked about criminal justice reform, President Trump actually signed the First Step Act, the first real reform in a generation, and one that sought to undo the harm that others, like Joe Biden, have done. For those of us who lament the Biden crime bill that locked up a generation of young black men, remember that Biden bragged about a bill that still wreaks havoc among people of color. I'm supporting President Trump because he believes, as I do, that a strong America cannot fight endless wars. We must not continue to leave our blood and treasure in Middle East quagmires. I flew with him to Dover Air Force Base to honor two soldiers whose remains were coming home from Afghanistan. I'll never forget that evening. I can tell you the president not only felt the pain of these families, but that the president is committed to ending this war. President Trump is the first president in a generation to seek to end war rather than start one. He intends to end the war in Afghanistan. He is bringing our men and women home. Madison once wrote, No nation can preserve its freedom in the midst of continuous warfare. 
I'm proud to finally see a president who agrees with that. Compare President Trump with the disastrous record of Joe Biden, who has consistently called for more war. Joe Biden voted for the Iraq War, which President Trump has long called the worst geopolitical mistake of our generation. I fear Biden will choose war again. He supported the war in Serbia, Syria, Libya. Joe Biden will continue to spill our blood and treasure. President Trump will bring our heroes home. If you hate war like I hate war, if you want us to quit sending $50 billion every year to Afghanistan to build their roads and bridges instead of building them here at home, you need to support President Trump for another term. So there's a lot to say about this. Let's go from the top. When he talks about, there's a line there which is such an admission, and Rand Paul doesn't realize it. He says at the beginning, um, some members of Congress wanted a revenue-neutral tax plan. So what that means is a tax plan that doesn't add to the debt or the deficit. And he said, I worked with President Trump to make sure we had a real tax cut. So namely, not necessarily revenue neutral. So what he's admitting there is behind the scenes, he knew and Trump knew and a bunch of the Republicans knew, hey, this tax cut that we're pushing for, the 2017 tax cut bill, which became law, it's actually going to massively increase the debt and the deficit. And it did. It added, it's going to add like $2 trillion. It's already added a, a bunch to the deficit, but it's going to be like $2 trillion over the course of five or ten years or whatever it was. So now the arguments they made publicly, they kept saying that the tax cut is going to pay for itself. It's going to more than pay for itself. So you, tax, you, you cut taxes for the wealthy, and then the economy takes off, and then you know people make so much money, and the corporations do so well that even though they're paying a lower tax rate, it'll be more revenue coming into the government overall. That's the argument that they make. Now, that's never been the case, whether it's the 1920s, whether it's under Ronald Reagan in the 80s or George W. Bush. Whenever we try trickle-down economics, as it's called, um, you have boom-bust cycles uh, in, with the economy, and you add massively to the deficit. So he's admitting that behind the scenes, Trump knew and he knew this tax cut is going to add to the, de- the deficit, but they were, had a public face of, no, it's not. It's not going to do that. They were lying. He's admitting that they knew that because he said some wanted a revenue-neutral tax plan. We didn't. Trump and I didn't. That's an amazing admission there. And by the way, the media, it's such, it's such a shame that you have to come to this show for a breakdown like that because nobody on CNN or MSNBC is going to break that down for you. And that's a really important thing. It was all a sham. They were lying every step of the way. They knew what, it, what would happen with it. Really, at the end of the day, it was just a ruse to give their wealthy buddies and corporations more money. That's what that 2017 tax cut law was. 83% of the benefits went to the top 1%. The bottom 52% of taxpayers see a tax increase over a decade. A tax increase. So, all right, that's the first point. Then he brings up, so he's praising Trump for this terrible tax plan. By the way, a new analysis came out. When Republicans put that front and center as if that's an accomplishment, they lose Rust Belt voters. This is a new analysis that just came out. Because those people who were like two times Obama voters that flipped to Trump, they, they weren't looking for standard Republican tax plans. 
They were looking for genuine populism and a more left-wing economic approach, and they didn't get it. So they're losing voters as they keep bragging about this elitist tax plan. This is a new analysis that just came out. Um, so bragging about the tax plan, he doesn't deserve any credit for that. It was abysmal. Then Rand Paul goes on to say, oh, you know, Trump helped me with, a better, with this better, less expensive health insurance plan. Okay, you can't talk about health care, health insurance under the Trump administration and act like there were any successes because tens of millions of Americans lost their health insurance. Tens of millions of Americans, I mean, we're hemorrhaging people who are covered. The, the bills are going up, and you're talking about how, you know, you work with Trump to get some scam plans back. This is one of the things that happened under Obamacare. They banned these bare-bones coverage plans because they, what they found is they're not really giving you any coverage. Like you basically have to be on death's door to get anything paid for. So you pay them every month, and it's a small amount, but you never get anything in return. So basically Obamacare came along and said you have to offer at least these bare, basic, minimum things that you cover, and so those plans were wiped out. And so basically Rand Paul saying I wanted to bring those back, and Trump, Trump helped bring those back. So congratulations, you're doing the bidding of for-profit health insurance companies and allowing them to continue to scam people. This is not something to brag about, it's pathetic. Then he goes on, I'll give him credit on this one, he brings up the First Step Act. He's correct that that was a, a good bill, it was a step in the right direction, um, but it is literally just the first step. We need to go way further than that. And Trump could legalize recreational marijuana tomorrow if he wanted to, but he doesn't want to. Um, and he's correct in attacking Biden and calling him Crime Bill Joe Biden. But just understand, you cannot make this criticism and also turn around and make the criticism that he's soft on crime, because that makes no sense. If you're attacking him on the crime bill, you're saying he's too tough on crime. He's locking up people gratuitously. So you can't say that and then simultaneously say, oh, my God, look at the riots and the chaos and the mayhem and the anarchy in the streets. Blame Joe Biden because he's soft on crime and he's controlled by the radical left. Those two arguments are contradictory. You have to pick one. Um, now, here's, here's the main part that got under my skin and why overall, even though he had some decent lines in there, I hated this speech. He's bragging about how Trump is against endless wars, but Rand, I don't know if you noticed, he's continuing all of them. He's not pulling out of the Middle East. We're still there. He's been president for quite a while now, and we are still there. In fact, in an interview the other day with Axios, what did he say? He was asked point blank hey, how many troops are going to remain in Afghanistan, you know, by the time election day rolls around? How many troops are going to be in there? And he said about 5,000. When he got in office, there were 8,000. So you reduce it by 3,000, you keep 5,000 there, and you think that's something you should be praised for? You think that's ending the war? That's not ending the war. Not even close. And, 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 see, Rand correctly went after Obama when Obama did this same trick. What did Obama do? Go back and watch. He said it in a million speeches. He said it in State of the Union addresses. He would talk about these wars as if like, and we're on our path to coming home. We're going to do it because it's the right thing to do to end these wars. And he would always pay lip service to non-intervention, to withdrawing. But then what he would do is yo-yo the troop levels all day long, whether it's Iraq or Afghanistan. He'd, he'd add more, and then he takes them out, and then he'd add more, and then he takes them out, and then he'd add more, and then he takes them out. 
And by the time he got out of office, we were still in Iraq. We were still in Afghanistan. We're still doing the drone war throughout the Middle East. And that's the exact same thing with Donald Trump. We're still in Iraq. We're still in Afghanistan. Now we got 500 troops in Syria. And there's a story that came out today that I'll get to later about that, about how there was a fight between Russian troops and U.S. troops. He's also escalating massively with Iran. He ripped up the Iran deal. We violated the deal. He ripped it up. And now we're sanctioning medicine going into that country. He assassinated a top Iranian general. And you're acting like this guy's anti-war? He's not even close to anti-war. So how much of a sucker are you or how much of a liar are you that you're giving him credit for the lip service he pays to being against war? Because, again, Obama paid lip service to being anti-war, too. But Rand Paul correctly pointed out, you're not actually anti-war. You're keeping the troops there. It's the exact same thing with Trump. He ain't bringing the troops home. They're still there. So it's just, it's pathetic. Like, I don't know whether he's being fooled or he's a liar. And he's like, I know he's not going to do it, but I'm going to praise him anyway. I don't know. I don't know. But, you know, go back and look at stuff I said during the Obama years. I was criticizing Obama for keeping the troops there. You want to know why? Because I'm not a partisan hack. I'm consistent. I care about the actual issues. And I wanted Obama to pull out of the Middle East. He didn't do it, so I criticized him for it. I want Trump to pull out of the Middle East, and he's not doing it, so I'm going to criticize him for it. But this is what's so frustrating. It's like, why? How can you praise the guy as if he's anti-war when he's continuing the wars and just paying lip service? What a colossal sucker. And there's the same thing, by the way, with the, the populism stuff. Like, Trump, in a lot of the video montages yesterday, he was talking to working people. There were these, like, videos of, like, this guy's a lobster fisherman and this person's a farmer. And he, those people are trying to make it seem like, oh, yes, he cares so deeply about working people. Yes! But then they'd, like, slip in a line about, and that's why we need to do deregulation. Deregulation? So you're putting forward a working person to argue for a Wall Street agenda and pretending like that's populism. I mean, this stuff is just a slap in the face. Even the whole thing about, oh, my God, he's anti-outsourcing. In his first year in office, there were 93,000 jobs that were outsourced, which was even more than the previous year under Obama. Stop giving credit to frauds, man. I mean, this is, this is fraudulent stuff. He's not anti-war. He's just paying lip service. And, you know, a guy like Rand Paul, if he did actually believe in what he says he believes in, he couldn't say this stuff. He would be criticizing him in the exact same way he criticized Obama. Okay, next. This is going to get weird, this one here. So a woman by the name of Abby Johnson spoke at the RNC, this is her right here, um, and it was about abortion. Now, she used to be a worker at Planned Parenthood, and she says, hey, I changed my mind because of what I saw when I was there. Now, I want to play for you part of the speech here, and I'm going to come back and tell you some falsehoods, some inconsistencies, and we'll talk about just the bigger picture as to why this is a main focus. 
thing I saw was a spine twirling around in the mother's womb before succumbing to the force of the suction. On October 6th, I left the clinic looking back only to remember why I now advocate so passionately for life. I founded and currently run, and then there were none, a nonprofit organization that's helped nearly 600 abortion workers transition out of the industry. For most people who consider themselves pro-life, abortion is abstract. They can't even conceive of the barbarity. They don't know about the products of conception room and abortion clinics where infant corpses are pieced back together to ensure nothing remains in the mother's womb or that we joked and called it the pieces of children's room. You see, for me, abortion is real. I know what it sounds like. I know what abortion smells like. Did you know abortion even had a smell? I've been the perpetrator to these babies, to these women, and I now support President Trump because he has done more for the unborn than any other president. During his first month in office, he banned federal funds for global health groups that promote abortion. That same year, he overturned an Obama-Biden rule that allowed government subsidy of abortion. He appointed a record number of pro-life judges, including two Supreme Court justices, and importantly, he announced a new rule protecting the rights of healthcare workers objecting to abortion, many of whom I work with every day. So she was trending on Twitter because of a lot of the things she said. Now, some media outlets were like, wow, this is, this is quite a story. So they did some digging and fact-finding, and apparently according to medical records, so she tells a story of like, oh, I saw this abortion. It was at 13 weeks, and it was terrible, and she gives these gruesome details. And according to the medical records, it was actually she, – so she, she's totally wrong about – how old the fetus was. Apparently it was younger than 10 weeks, and she keeps saying it was 13 weeks. Now you might say, hey, that's a, that's a minor difference. Not really. Not really. There's actually quite a big difference in terms of what developmental stage the fetus is at. Um, now, she also said in the speech that 80% of Planned Parenthoods are in minority communities, so she's making this argument that, like, Really, this is an attempt to do genocide of people of color, and apparently fewer than 4% of Planned Parenthood facilities are actually in communities that are more than one-third black. So they're just misleading in that sense. Um, and then the other thing people found is that she has called for getting rid of one person, one vote, and she argues for household voting. So one household gets one vote. Now, that's just nothing but a cutesy little dressed-up way to say, take the vote away from women. Like, oh, if it's, if it's you know, a family, you got the husband, you got the wife, you got the kids, you get one vote. So really, it's like, hey, we really shouldn't have ever given women the right to vote. So she has some very questionable things. The other thing, she, apparently she has a mixed-race kid, and she once said that, like, well, obviously he's more statistically predisposed to committing crimes, so the cops should, you know, will be more careful around him as he grows up. <laughs> what? 
So I, here's what I think is going on. Now, this is just speculation, but my guess is, guys, it's one of those things where she already had this very evangelical, fundamentalist Christian belief system, and she went into a job at a Planned Parenthood looking to do this whole heel turn at some point and be like, oh, I used to be pro-abortion and now I'm anti-abortion. Believe me, I was there. I saw how gruesome it is. I saw how terrible it is. So in a way, I think she was like a mole. Like, I'm going to go into this thing knowing I'm already an evangelical fundamentalist Christian who's anti-abortion. I'm going to pretend like I'm not that and then I'll have my whole story. It's almost like the Dave Rubin character arc of like, you know, me? Oh, I'm a lefty, bro. Oh, oh, the left is going crazy. Now I'm like the only sane liberal left, bro. That's me. And then eventually he was, you know, now he's just flat out seems like a conservative Republican. There's like a similar thing. Like she was going through the motions. I am a Planned Parenthood worker and I am a pro-choice lefty. Oh, let me. Oh, oh, this looks so gruesome. Oh, now I must leave and tell everybody my story and act like I had a change of heart. That's what I think is going on. Is it possible that that's not the case and that she was, you know, just a pro-choice lefty and changed her mind? I guess. But why all the inaccuracies in her speech? Why the incredibly fringe political views? It strikes me, uh, you know, a little too convenient that it all came together like that. And I don't believe a lot of what she says. Now, the real reason I'm talking about this is because, guys, I'm so sick of it. You cannot concern troll me about life. Life is so precious. We love life. Yes. You can't do that and also be in favor of the death penalty and also be in favor of continuing all these wars and also be against Medicare for all. You can't do it. You can't feign concern about life and then say, I'm cool with the healthcare system that kills 45,000 to 60,000 Americans every single year because they don't have basic health care. So here's my point. I'll care about your position on this when you show me you care about more than just fetuses. If you actually care about life, the first thing on the list would be ending the death penalty and ending wars, and then also Medicare for all. Because the fact that we don't have a single-payer system is literally killing people. So you can't, I just can't take them seriously because they're on the wrong side of all those issues, and then they turn around and act like they care so deeply about the lives of fetuses. It's just too ridiculous. And, and the, the extent that they go, like they do these emotional arguments where they talk about the gruesome details of it. And it's like, okay, well, I can go give a speech and talk about the gruesome details of war, I could talk about the gruesome details of somebody getting shot and killed and bleeding out on the battlefield as their loved ones are at home waiting for them to come back. I could do that to make the case against war, but I'd rather talk about it objectively from the macro level and not necessarily get into the granular details that will pull on your heartstrings because that's misleading when you do that. So, you know, it's, it's just so ridiculous. These people pretend, I care so much about the babies. Yes, the babies. Let's also cut food stamps, which will in turn make it so kids don't have enough food to eat. So in that sense, fuck the babies. But in other ways, I love the babies. Yes, fetuses. <sighs> Guys, we're in the middle of a pandemic and a depression. 
And this was one of the things highlighted at the GOP convention. Highlighted. Highlighted. They were like, let's do this thing where we whine about abortion endlessly. As there's a pandemic and a depression, uh, you know, I think your finger's not quite on the pulse. Okay. Now we're going to make fun of Larry, Larry Kudlow. Trump's economics advisor, Larry Kudlow, spoke at the RNC. This is a guy who has um, infamously been wrong about everything. (laughs) Go back and look at the things he said. Jesus Christ, the things he said before the subprime mortgage crisis and the Great Recession. He was acting like there wasn't even going to be a downturn. And we had the Great Recession. Unbelievable how wrong he's been about so much, but this guy has power. So anyway... Here are some of the things he said in his speech, then I'll dissect it. Our economic health is coming back. With emergency spending and tax cuts, Americans are going back to work. There's a housing boom, there's an auto boom, a manufacturing boom, a consumer spending boom. Stocks are in record territory. A V-shaped recovery is pointing to better than 20% growth in the second half Now, looking ahead, more tax cuts and regulatory rollback will be in store. Payroll tax cuts for higher wages, income tax cuts for the middle class, capital gains tax cuts for investment, productivity, and jobs. Much more regulatory relief for small businesses. In economic terms, folks, this is no time for a $4 trillion tax hike. Coming out of the deep pandemic, Who in their right mind would pick the pockets of taxpayers and drain money from their wallets and purses? Look, our economic choice is very clear. Do you want economic health, prosperity, opportunity, and optimism? Or do you want to turn back to the dark days of stagnation, recession, and pessimism? That's what we have right now. Stagnation, pessimism, dark days. It's amazing. Randy said something on Twitter that I thought was hilarious. He was like, why does it always seem like they're talking and they're skipping a chapter? It's like they talk, we had built the best economy the world has ever seen, and we'll do it again. Wait, so you you admit you have to do it again, which means you're admitting right now it's not good. Why are you not talking about that part? You don't get a mulligan for COVID? That's not the way this works. Imagine FDR saying, man, listen, before the Great Depression, dog, before the Great Depression, dog, it was the Roaring Twenties. It was the Roaring Twenties. We had such a great economy. Yeah, but now we don't get to work, bitch. Like, what? It's amazing. The mental gymnastics. So if you just ignore what's happening now and you look about what, at what happened before, and just think about what might happen in the future. It might get better in the future, and it was good before. Vote for me, Trump 2020. Oh, my God. Oh, my God, you're so amazing. Oh, my God. Now, earlier on, he was trying to make the case that hey, we're, it's, no big deal or anything, bro, but, like, we're in an economic boom. Thank you. 
Oh, are we? 29 million adults report not having enough food to eat. 15 million renters are behind on rent payments. Trump's $300 unemployment insurance benefit will only last about three weeks. Poverty rates to rise above Great Recession levels without more stimulus. Guys, really the only thing he could point to to make this argument is the stock market. And guess what? The stock market is booming simply because it has effectively been fully socialized. That's what it is. When you had the CARES Act, trillions of dollars going to corporations and the wealthy, and you had the Federal Reserve doing endless quantitative easing, a trillion dollars a day. The Federal Reserve basically was like, we will spend whatever the hell it takes to shore up the marketplace. That means they fully socialized it. That means it it can't fail. Now, compare that approach, how they treat the market, how they treat the corporations, with how they treat you. Did they come to you and say, no matter what, we're not going to let you suffer if we got to if we got to spend a thousand dollars a day for each American in stimulus, we'll do it. They didn't say that. They said it for the market. They said it for the corporations. They didn't say it for you. They did not say it for you. All the bailouts just happened to be top down. It was the same thing with the Great Recession. Oh, well, what, what are we going to do? We got to bail them out. So just give all the money to the people who messed everything up on Wall Street. Just going to bail people out. Bail out the homeowners. Bail out the homeowners. The people who need it from the bottom up. No, never bottom up. Why? Because you don't bribe the politicians. The corporations do. So, listen, the economy is a joke right now. That's obvious. You didn't need me to tell you this. 80% of Americans were living paycheck to paycheck before COVID. 80%. Now the real unemployment rate is about 20%. People with jobs are taking pay cuts. I don't need to explain to you that this thing is going to implode. We have anywhere between 500,000 and a million homeless people in America. There's some predictions that say we could have 28 million soon. And he's out there bragging. Why? Because the stock market still showing is still doing well simply because it's been fully socialized. I mean, it's just everything he says is misleading. It's kind of amazing. Um, now, notice when he talks about what we're going to do from here. Don't worry, guys. They got it under control. Does he say we're going to do Medicare for all because we have a pandemic? So you gotta, you got to give people health care. It's a pandemic, and we don't have everybody covered. What, are we crazy? He doesn't say that. They say, I got it, universal basic income. He doesn't say that. They say, I got it. We'll do, copy other developed countries. We'll temporarily nationalize wages until COVID is over. He doesn't say that. What does he say? Uh, we're going to do tax cuts. You, you did tax cuts in 2017, and you pretended like it was for the middle class when 83% of the benefits went to the rich. So you want to do more tax cuts? What kind of tax cuts you want to do? We're going to do a capital, capital gains tax cuts and a payroll tax cut. Okay, payroll tax cut is just a stealth attempt to screw Social Security, destroy Social Security. And a capital gains tax cut is – the capital gains tax is what you pay on money you make through investments. That would only apply to the wealthy. And you want to do a capital gains tax cut? Guys, capital gains tax, this is why Mitt Romney, when he made like $30 million in one year, this is back when he was running for president in 2012, he made like $30 million in one year, he only paid like 14% taxes on it. Now, if he worked and made $30 million, he would have been taxed at like 40% on that money. Instead, he was taxed at 14%. Why? Because apparently our tax code treats money that you make through gambling in the stock market 
They tax you at a lower rate for that, and they tax you at a higher rate for actual work. Now, I'm going to speak your language here for a minute, Larry Kudlow. Doesn't that seem like it's incentivizing people not to actually work? That if anybody has the ability, has the money, has enough funds, like, I'll just, what do you mean? I'll sit on my couch all day and I'll invest. That's all I'm going to do. I'm actually going to work. I'm actually going to produce something. I'm going to push numbers around on a computer screen and gamble for a living in the stock market. Why should the capital gains tax rate be lower than the income tax rate when you actually have to work to pay an income tax? And he's saying we're going to cut the capital gains tax. Are you insane? If there were ever taxes to raise, it would be the top marginal tax rate, and it would be the capital gains rate, and it would be the corporate tax rate, which leads to my final point. He, keeps, he does this fear-mongering thing about Biden. They're going to raise $4 trillion in taxes. I'm like, yeah. Except go look at Biden's plan. He wants to raise the, the uh, corporate tax from 21%, that's what it is now nominally, to 28%. That's where he wants to raise the taxes. Other than that, raise it a little bit on people who make over four hundred grand a year. And you're fear-mongering about that? Are you insane? That's exactly what we need, and those ideas are wildly popular. Guys, the nominal corporate tax was 35% prior to Trump. He cut it to 21. Biden's not even saying bring it back to 35. Biden's saying 28. And they're still bitching and lying and acting like, oh, he's just going to raise taxes. There's this new talking point going around. Biden wants to raise taxes on 82% of Americans. Utter nonsense! Completely made up. The problem with Biden, if anything, is the opposite, where he keeps raising that number too much. He says nobody's going to have a tax increase making under 400 grand. Originally with Obama, he said 100. Then it became 250. Now it's 400. What's it going to be next? A million? But it doesn't matter, guys. It doesn't matter. Because no matter what they say, no matter what the Democrats are in favor of, idiots like Larry Kudlow will go out there and lie. So they want to raise taxes on regular people. Be, be afraid as he calls for 87 new tax cuts in the middle of a pandemic and a depression, as if that will do anything to help. The reality is Larry Kudlow only cares about these tax cuts because he and his buddies are very wealthy, and he's looking for any excuse to give them more money and more power. It's always been a ruse. Trickle-down economics has always been a ruse. Art Laffer has always been a joke. It's nothing but a scam to convince you that there are high-minded, intelligent economic reasons in order to give my friends all the money in the pl- on the planet. I mean, that's what's going on here. Obviously, and no human being can look at the results of trickle-down economics. It's been tried so many times previously and say, oh, this time it'll work. This time it won't blow a giant hole in the deficit. You know, this time it won't lead to a boom-bust cycle. Of course it will. So I think at this point, I think he even knows that he's full of it. And he's just doing his job as corporate America's cheerleader and PR agent. Unbelievable. This guy's still steering the ship. See, this is how we know Trump is a total fraud. He did the whole, you know, fake outsider thing in 2016. You can't say you're an outsider and then hire people like Steve Mnuchin and Gary Cohn and Larry Kudlow. These are ultimate insiders. You can't say you're an outsider and then hire people like John Bolton and Mike Pompeo, these massive neocons. So in other words, you say you're an outsider while you continue the military-industrial complex and while you continued um, Wall Street stranglehold on our government. Total joke. All right, now we're going to do what I know you want to do, what I know you want to see. 
which is uh, Kimberly Guilfoyle. We have to talk about Kimberly Guilfoyle's speech. I spoke about this a little bit on, uh, I went on Rising the Hill the other day. Um, spoke a little bit about it then to Crystal and Sager, but I got to show you a little of this. I, I know you probably have already seen it on Twitter or you saw it watching it or you saw it when somebody else is making fun of it, but you know, I got to get in on this fun. So Kimberly Guilfoyle, former Fox News host. Before that, she was actually Gavin Newsom's husband husband, wife, excuse me, I misgendered her, (laughs) that was actually a total accident, I wasn't trying to make a joke, but anyway, I digress, Um, Gavin Newsom's wife, Gavin Newsom's the governor of California, looks like he was car salesman, but I digress, Um, and then now she's, you know, big in right-wing circles, somewhat part of the Trump administration, I guess, and she's, you know, Don Jr.'s girlfriend, so she gave a speech, and man, did she go inski. America, it's all on the line. President Trump believes in you. He emancipates and lifts you up to live your American dream. You are capable. You are qualified. You are powerful. And you have the ability to choose your life and determine your Don't let the Democrats take you for granted. Don't let them step on you. Don't let them destroy your families, your lives, and your future. Don't let them kill future generations because they told you and brainwashed you and fed you lies that you weren't good enough. Like my parents, you can achieve your American dream. You can be that shining example to the world. Manifest and be the change in this country that you dream, that you hope, that you believe in. Stand for an American president who is fearless, who believes in you, and who loves this country and will fight for her. President Trump is the leader who will rebuild the promise of America and ensure that every citizen can realize their American dream. Ladies and gentlemen, Leaders and fighters for freedom and liberty and the American dream. The best is yet to come. That was so uncomfortable. That was so uncomfortable. (laughs) Oh, man. Goodness gracious. Yeah, so. Listen, you look at Don Jr.'s eyes in his speech. And, you know, hey, the speculation on Twitter, of which I also participated, is that they were backstage with a little bit of, you know what I'm saying? I'm not making any accusations here, but what I am saying is, oh, (laughs) you know, they probably look a little bit like Tony Montana with a giant giant mound of cocaine mountain hey how many times have i said i honestly think the rnc would be better 
if everybody just just step aside, give Trump two hours every night for the four days or whatever it is, have him with a giant mountain of cocaine or Adderall, and let him go. Just let him rip. I'd watch that. That'd be entertaining as hell. He'd be all over the place. He'd be bouncing off the walls. It would be fascinating. So anyway, um, they look like they were having some fun backstage. Uh, if I'm being kind to Don Jr., his eyes were just from drinking alcohol, but I don't think it was. <laughs> but that's the kind interpretation. The energy here that, that Kimberly's given off, I mean, that is, that's an upper if I've ever seen one in my entire life. Are, how kind do we want to be to her? Did she have four cups of coffee before going out there? That's the kind interpretation. Two Red Bulls, a couple Monster Energy drinks, something like that, possibly. But I know what it looks like to me. And when you look at Don Jr.'s eyes and when you look at her speech, you're going, oh, okay, I see what happened here. Now, by the way, I, this is so funny because I, I joked about this. I was tweeting about it as it happened. And, oh, my God, conservatives got so mad. They got so mad. But I'm like, this isn't even an attack. Like, I'm not saying it and wagging my finger and harshly judging. I'm saying, like, all right, y'all were partying backstage. That's what's up. Like, I'm not even mad at you. I'm not even, if I was giving a big convention speech, I would be on something. I would try to get my hands on something. Why? Because you got to take the edge off a little bit, man. You got to take the edge off a little bit. I mean, that's a big stage out there. How many people are watching? Probably millions if it's a convention speech. So I'm not judging them on that, but it's so funny that you say something that appears relatively obvious, like you think you're pointing out the obvious here, and conservatives are like, how dare you? Don Jr. responded to me and was like, you must have confused me with Hunter Biden. No. I mean, I'm sure he is doing coke somewhere too. That's fine. But I think you did it before your speech, bro. You want me to tell you, dog? <laughs> Why is everybody so sensitive? And it's so funny because, like, this is not, like, you're not allowed. In, in polite society, you're just literally, like, nobody in mainstream media will touch this idea. Nobody. Even though it appears obvious, right? This actually reminds me of, remember when Trump was debating Hillary? And there were a couple debates where every time he spoke, he, he would be like that in between words. And with what she's doing, what this one is doing... And people who know drugs were like, oh, that's an effect you get if you're snorting stuff, whether it's Adderall or, or Coke. That's an effect you get. You... Another thing is people have zoomed in on the pupils in some instances, and they've, and they've like, oh, okay, so your pupils are showing typical signs of drug use. Now, again, I'm not, I'm not hating. In fact, in the case of Don Jr., like that's the least objectionable thing about what he said that night. <laughs> Actually, same with Kimberly Guilfoyle. The, the least objectionable thing of what they did that night. Because um, the arguments are just silly. you know. And, and by the way, I sh I'm, I'm actually showing you the nicest part of Kimberly Guilfoyle's speech. Just the flowery stuff. Because before it, she was doing the typical, like, radical left Marxism Antifa be afraid, bro, but don't catch oh my God. Like, she was going with that, and I'm going, okay, here we go again with this no utter nonsense. But then at the end there, you saw it. It's, Trump believes in you. The American dream is wonderful. You can determine your own destiny. Dems will destroy you and your family. They'll destroy you and your family. And my favorite is when they talk about freedom and liberty. It's so vapid unless you give specifics. No. 
Like, here's one we could probably agree on. People should have the freedom to do coke if they want to. <laughs> you know, it's illegal. Shouldn't be, but it is. Um, I hate it when politicians talk about freedom and liberty because you try to hold them to it. Like, okay, do you believe in the freedom of somebody at the end of their life, they're terminally ill, they're in excruciating pain, they want to die comfortably, are you in favor of physician-assisted suicide? No, 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 no. That's too much freedom. You see what I'm saying? Like, they say they believe in freedom, then you test that principle, and they're like, I, I didn't mean that. I didn't mean that. Should, should people be allowed to do online gambling, online poker? It's illegal. Republicans made it illegal. Should they be allowed to do that? No, 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 not that. Not that. Too much freedom. Okay, then shut the hell up about freedom. You don't believe in it. You don't believe in it. But this is what it is. It's like vapid talking points. But listen, I will defend Don Jr. and Kimberly Guilfoyle because this was entertaining. I was laughing. When I was watching the DNC, I was depressed. And I think the reason I was depressed is because even though it's naive at this point, I still hope Democrats will be better. I still hope that there will be some degree of seriousness and some degree of like, okay, they're on it, you know? But no, I watched the DNC and it was platitudes and cliches and arrogance and Trump bad and personal stories about how great they think they are. It's insufferable. So I hated it. When I turn on the RNC, I mean, I'm turning it on because I kind of want to laugh. And I did. (laughs) Don Jr. at Kimberly Guilfoyle at a bunch of the speakers. It was like half pissed off at just the blatant falsehoods. That's understandable. But then the other half is like, oh, my God, these people are insane, and it is hilarious. So anyway, go ahead. For all the conservatives who get pissed, keep getting pissed. I don't care. I don't care. Like, again, I think I'm pointing out the obvious, but the thing I'm saying would not – you're not even allowed to speculate about it in mainstream media. You're just not. You wouldn't be allowed to speculate that, hey, maybe they were – Blowing lines of coke backstage. <gasps> My goodness, good sir! How could you? How could I what? See obvious signs of drug use, like bouncing off the walls and being so loud? Guys, I mean, I've had this experience. I'm sure some of you have, too. When I was in college, I did Adderall every now and then, because it's basically like legal cocaine. I mean, that's what it is. And so, you know, I'd take an Adderall, and I'd go drinking, now, you're not supposed to mix the two, but when you're in fucking college, you're an idiot, as was I. And, like, you'll be talking to somebody, and you're, like, telling a story, and you think that you're so entertaining. And you think that you're, like, nailing it. And then, like, you'll notice that your friend is giving you a look, like, almost like, can you please shut up? Like, you're annoying. You're annoying. And that is exactly what's going on with Kimberly Guilfoyle here. Bouncing off the wall, so happy. America, Donald Trump, yes! American dream! Unbelievable! Determine your destiny! She thinks she's like, I am freaking this right now, son. Hard body. And then everybody at home's like, What is this? <laughs> what am I watching? You're so weird, bro. So listen, it's, it's a classic sign, and Don, Don Jr.'s eyes are a classic sign. But I want to reiterate, I'm not hating. I would have joined him backstage. <laughs> Why not? You're giving a big speech? Shit, give me something. Got to take the edge off. Maybe I would have gone in the other direction, though, and like, I don't know, give me a Xanax or something. But yeah, got to take the edge off some way. So I'm not hating on him. I'm just saying it's 
pretty clear what I think happened. Okay, should I do one? Yeah, I'm going to do one more before I take a break. Here we go. June, also known as Shoe on Head on YouTube. She also has a channel, uh, Brainlit as well. Brainlit? I think it's Brainlit. I think it is. hope I'm not messing that up. But there's also Shoe on Head. Anyway, she caught... A moment during the RNC, Eric Trump managed to contradict himself in less than 20 seconds. They want to disrespect our flag. We're in the stars and stripes that represent patriotism and the American dream. They want to disrespect our national anthem by taking a knee. The Democrats want an America where your thoughts and opinions are censored when they do not align with their own. No, how do you not see what you just did there? Come on, man. Come on. The left wants to censor people and punish them if they don't have the same beliefs. You just said that uh, the left wants to disrespect the flag and they want to burn it and they want to take a knee during the national anthem and that's unacceptable. Colin Kaepernick doesn't have a job because the, nobody wanted to pick him up because he was kneeling and people were offended by it. If anybody, if anybody on the right loses a job because of something they said or some sort of symbolic thing or some gesture that points in the direction of their politics, they would scream freedom of speech. Burning the flag is quite literally a First Amendment issue. The Supreme Court decided in like 1989, I think it was, that, yeah, of course, burning the flag is freedom of speech. It's like peak political speech. You're saying, I disagree with something the country's doing. In protest, I will burn the flag to show my disapproval. It, that, it's First Amendment case law. And he's talking about how the left wants to censor you and punish you if you don't agree. His dad, Donald Trump, called for jailing people who burn the flag for a year. And he did it like last month. It was very recent. He's been doing it repeatedly. But that's what he does. So you can't do the whole like, we believe in freedom of expression, while also literally trying to ban people for their free expression. You might not like burning the flag. It's free expression. You might not like kneeling during the anthem. That's free expression. By the way, they also just straw man people if they do those things. They immediately go to, I guess you hate America. No, maybe dissent is the highest form of patriotism, and they're trying to say, I want to change a problem, so I'm going to kneel to hopefully get everybody's attention so we can address this problem. But no, they just they immediately straw man and say, no, it just must be because you hate the country. That's why you're doing it. It's just because you hate America. So when you guys criticize America, it's because you love it. When the left criticizes America, it's because they hate it. See, it's, just, it's so childish, but that has to be a world record. The contradiction within 20 seconds. The left wants to disrespect our flag. The left wants to burn our flag. They want to take a knee during the anthem. And they also want to censor people. 
They want to censor people and take away their freedom of speech. Those things you just mentioned are free speech. And not only should the government not persecute people, which, again, Trump wants the government to persecute people for their free speech, but also you shouldn't be fired. Now, before anybody watching this accuses me of hypocrisy, no, I've been insanely consistent on this, and I've defended people who I despise on free speech grounds previously, and I will continue to do it. But just understand, these guys never meant it. Of course they never meant it. They're not actual principled thinkers. They're playing a game. They're playing a partisan game, and they're playing got ya. The exact thing. What did Trump do the other day? He called for a boycott of Goodyear tires. Why? Because there was a story that blew up in right-wing media, which turned out to be false, that they, were, they are allowing Black Lives Matter hats, but not like Blue Lives Matter hats, and they're not allowing you know, um, MAGA stuff, but they are allowing LGBTQ stuff. And Trump saw that, and he got pissed off. He called for a boycott of an American company in a swing state during an election. Well, the story turned out to be false, number one. But number two, even if it wasn't, okay, you're doing the same thing that you accuse the left of doing, and you call it cancel culture when the left does it. Oh, you want to boycott somebody because they don't agree with you politically? Oh, see, so strong, little snowflake with your triggered, hurt feelings. Who cares? Who cares? But they do. And, and Trump even said it in the tweet. He's like, we got to start copying the game that the left is playing. Oh, so use the tactics of the people that you despise. So you despise them because of those tactics, and now you want to use those tactics. So shouldn't you despise yourself? It's all a game. They're all partisan hacks complete partisan hacks. It's so obvious. They'll never take a principled stand, you know, on free speech grounds. If they did, there would be a right-wing outcry every single time a pro-Palestinian speaker gets booted from uh, giving a talk, which happens all the time, by the way. There would be outrage. There's never outrage because it was never actually about the principle of it. It's about using it when it meets their political ends. Okay. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, I got a lot more for you, including making fun of Matt Gates, and then we will get off of RNC and move on to some other things. So stay right there, everybody. We will be right back.
I'm back, bitch. I am back and eating peanut butter crackers on air like a professional. Mm-hmm. Yummy, yummy, yummy. Okay, I needed that. I needed that. All right, we're going to talk about Matt Gates. Um, there's one other clip in here, too. I forget the name of this woman, though. All right, let me set this up for you. So there have been many psychotic speakers at the RNC. It's kind of their thing. Um, but I think these two lines may be my favorite because of how insane they are. So one of these guys, this is Matt Gates, who you're going to hear. And then there's one other speaker. I don't know her name, but she was particularly unhinged. Take a look. About five years ago, I was a victim of a notoriously deadly medical error. I survived, but only to be diagnosed with a rare and terminal bone cancer. You know, the Democrats love to talk about health care being a human right. But a right to what? Well, I'll tell you. To them, it's a right to marijuana, opioids, and the right to die with dignity. The Woketopians will settle for Biden because they will make him an extra in a movie written, produced, and directed by others. It's a horror film, really. They'll disarm you, empty the prisons, lock you in your home, and invite MS-13 to live next door. I don't know what world these people live in. I don't know what world they live in. They're so, I mean, everything, that's so insane, everything they said. So let's go from the beginning. So she says, uh, I was the victim of a medical error. I had a rare kind of bone cancer. <clears throat> then she says, the left believes that health care is a human right. Correct. Proceed. To what? A right to weed? opioids and dying with dignity I don't, <laughs> what does any of that mean okay so do i think healthcare is a human right yes every other developed country has it as a right i think we should catch up to the rest of the developed world and their systems are empirically better according to every study so correct i think healthcare is a human right do i think you have a right to marijuana no i think it should be legal, and if you want to go to the store and buy some marijuana, then yes, of course, you should be able to go to the store and buy marijuana. Do I think marijuana is a right, as in, like, you should get it for free as part of being an American citizen and being born? No, I don't think it's a right. I just think you should be able to buy it at the store if you want to buy it at the store. Then she says they believe you have a right to die with dignity. So do I believe in... Death with dignity, dignity, as in physician-assisted suicide, as in somebody's got late-stage cancer and they're in excruciating pain and they want to die peacefully, so they choose to, to do physician-assisted suicide? Yeah, I'm in favor of that. Um, but I don't think she's talking about it in that sense. I think what she's trying to say is, oh, they believe in health care as a right, but the health care system wouldn't, wouldn't help you. You would end up dying because the health care system doesn't, fix you in time. Like, I think that's what she's getting at. You got to understand, I'm like, 
I'm like the idiot whisperer on this show because I've been listening to dumb people say dumb things for a very long time and all these clips. I'm pretty sure that's what she, she means. And it, it harkens back to like one of the BS arguments that conservatives make all the time, which is like, bro, they got wait lists. They got, they got long wait times in single-payer countries, bro. Do you know about that? And like they act like we don't have 45,000 to 60,000 Americans that die every year because they don't have basic health care. Not only do we have wait lines, our wait lines are littered with about 60,000 dead bodies of people who didn't get their care. And they get mad that in single-payer countries, you have to wait for some elective procedures. So the ones that are not immediately necessary, you might have to wait for. Wow, that's only totally and completely understandable. So they ration care by need over there. We ration care by the size of your wallet. If you're wealthy, you'll get the care and you'll get it quick. If you're poor, maybe not so much. So I think that's what she's getting at. But, I mean, Jesus Christ, I mean, this stuff is insane, man. It's so insane. Like, imagine bashing the idea of healthcare as a human right in the year 2020 when every other developed country has healthcare as a human right and they save money and they cover everybody and the outcomes are even better. It's just like, it's like they're proud of their deep ignorance. Proud of it. But somehow she took the issue of universal healthcare made fun of it, but also linked it to weed and opioids? I, I don't, like, what are, you, what are you saying? This is what happens when you're too drunk on One American News and you're too drunk on Fox News. You can't help yourself. You just, you're so deep in the bubble, you think everybody else is seeing the issues in the same way you do, but nobody's seeing it the way you do. Only people who are like that 25% of the country, that block that's so right wing, that they're already voting for Trump anyway. What's the point of going after them in your convention? Okay, then, so Matt Gates. I mean, listen, this is such a perfect example of, like, when right-wingers think they're being, like, cool and edgy, but actually you end up looking like a colossal dork. Woke-topians? Woke, oh, oh, I see what you did. You mixed utopians and woke and got a woke-topians. <laughs> cool? You think that's edgy? You think you're like, you know, I'm on the cutting edge here, bro. I'm going to talk about serious issues. The woke-topians, and then he acts like, you know, somehow the woke-topians, which in his mind means the left, like the left has taken over the Democratic Party. Oh, please! <laughs> oh, please! It's packed to the brim with corporatists. It's so obvious. Jesus Christ. And then, um, he says, you know, the Woketopians want to disarm you. I, I, honestly, I don't know of a single Democratic politician who's in favor of banning all guns. Not a single one. Not a single one. Everyone I see, there's a range in their, in their beliefs, but, you know, the strongest anybody gets is, like, ban high-capacity magazines, ban assault weapons, and... That's pretty much it. Have universal background checks. Like, nobody, we have the Second Amendment, and the modern interpretation of it is you can't even, if you wanted to, take somebody's shotgun or their rifle or whatever, and nobody's trying to repeal the Second Amendment, and it would never get through. So it's just not, 
Like, the idea that the left is going to disarm you is ridiculous. In fact, there's a, I feel like there's a growing contingent on the left that's pro-Second Amendment. So it's like, what are you talking about? They want to empty the prisons. I want to... Wait, but I do want to empty the prisons of the nonviolent drug offenders. You know, the same ones that Trump just agreed in principle should be let out when he did the First Step Act, which is the first step towards freeing the nonviolent drug offenders. Like, yeah, I want to I wanna let the people who shouldn't be in prison out of prison. Do you want to keep them in? Do you want to keep them in? And he says you, they want to lock you in your home and have MS-13 be your neighbor. Jesus Christ. MS-13 be your neighbor. The dog whistle has turned into a foghorn. I'm going to have the brown people next door. They might be dangerous. They might be MS-13. What percentage of immigrants in this country are MS-13? Seriously. Seriously. What percentage? It has to be so tiny. It has to be a fraction. Are you kidding me? And by the way, the Obama administration deported more people than any administration in history. He deported more than George W. Bush. He was called the deporter-in-chief, okay? The idea that, like, oh, my God, the Democrats are just going to, they're going to go crazy and invite in MS-13. By the way, we've gone over the statistics before on this show, and not only, you know, legal immigrants in this country, but also undocumented immigrants, they have a much lower crime rate than the native um, citizens. So if if we're going to do this fear-mongering over crime rates, you'd have to prioritize immigrants and act like they're the model Americans because they have a lower crime rate. Really, you have to judge people on an individual case-by-case basis. But if we're going to do this stupid groupthink that the right loves to engage in and some segments of the left like to to engage in, then, okay, you should, like, prioritize them and be even more in favor of immigrants because – they're more model American citizens because fewer of them commit crimes. So um, it's just like, I, I think what, it, what annoys me the most, I've been doing this for a long time, man, and I think what gets under my skin the most is the people who, it's almost like they're really giddy about being partisan hacks and being, like, way too online and way too into, like, the stupid culture war scandals of the day. And it's like, really, this is how you want to spend your time and this is how you want to spend your life, caring about some stupid culture war nonsense, strawmanning the other side in a partisan debate. I mean, you just look ridiculous. These are unserious people. He doesn't even care. You think this guy cares about the tens of millions of Americans who don't have health insurance? You think he cares that like 80% of the country is living paycheck to paycheck, and that was before COVID, now I'm sure it's even more. You think he cares about these things? This isn't what he thinks about. He thinks about stuff like this. I'm going to come up with a term like woke-topian. I'm so cool. Like This is what he cares about. It's just, uh, I'm so tired, y'all. I'm so tired. Okay. We move on. So this is something 
that I really believe is probably the biggest red flag in terms of a potential Joe Biden presidency. This is from Garrett M. Graff. He says the following. Seeing in print in the Wall Street Journal, the list of Republican national security officials endorsing Biden is really something. This is basically every GOP luminary of the last 30 years saying enough to Trump. Stunning, really. So it's literally NATSEC for Biden, national security for Biden. And this is, and I don't mean this term conspiratorially. I just mean it in the sense of like CIA, FBI, Pentagon people. It's the deep state saying, yeah, we're actually, we actually totally cool with Joe. That should terrify you. Because these are all the people who have never met a war they didn't like. Now, what's amazing about this, what's really amazing about this, is that it's not like Trump isn't giving them what they're in favor of. If you actually go policy for policy with Trump on foreign policy, he's continuing the war in Iraq. He's continuing the war in Afghanistan. He sent 500 troops to Syria, which is exactly what they wanted. He's escalating with Iran massively. Venezuela, they tried to do a coup recently. It's not, it's down the line exactly what they want in every way, in every way. So he's giving them everything they want, and they're still like, we don't like them. Why? Well, I, I really do think it's just the fact that he rips the mask off of the empire. He's too dumb to do the tap dance that all the other politicians do about, oh, we're the United States of America, and we believe in freedom and liberty and democracy and justice. And, you know, we're always going to be there to help freedom-loving people around the world. That's what we're going to do. They do the tap dance. They pretend like it's, we're on a higher mission here, everybody. Okay. They're American exceptionalists, but they put a polite face on it. What does Trump do? He says, like, you know, like he did a couple of years ago, yeah, we're going to take the oil from Syria. What? <laughs> you can't just announce that you're going to totally violate another country's sovereignty and jack their natural resources? You can't do that. That's against international law. It's obvious. He's too dumb to do the tap dance. So they want to put the mask back on. Like, let's keep doing everything that we're doing, but just have a guy who's a better bullshitter. That's why they support him. Now, listen, I can, always, I can already hear the objections of people saying, like, well, what do you mean, Kyle? Don't you want people to sign on to a democratic agenda? And my answer is yes, when it's an actual democratic agenda. See, the problem with, like, John Kasich and Colin Powell and all these Republicans, all these national security Republicans supporting Joe Biden, is that they're supporting him because they know he's a moderate Republican, and he's going to do their policies. That's the problem with it. Whereas in a different situation, like you know Joe Rogan endorsing Bernie Sanders, the reason why that was good is because Bernie Sanders wasn't endorsing Joe Rogan's policies. Joe Rogan was endorsing Bernie Sanders' social democratic agenda. So there's a key fundamental difference. What I want everybody to understand is bipartisanship and compromise are not inherently good. They're also not inherently bad. It always depends on the details. So in the case of Biden, yes, of course I hate it that all these Republicans, the, these elitist leader Republicans, are coming out of the woodwork to support him 
because they know he's one of them. They know he's a moderate Republican. If Joe Biden was aggressively advocating for, you know, Medicare for all, and then there are some Republican voters in the Rust Belt who are like, yeah, I need health care, so I'm, I'm with that guy. That's a totally different story. I'd love that. But that's not what's going on here. And don't kid yourself if you think it is. So, you know, it's a red flag, dude. It really is. This is a red flag. He will continue the status quo. I, look, let me be clear. I think there are some differences between Trump and Biden on foreign policy. I do. Um, I think Biden would probably be better with Iran because he wouldn't have ripped up that deal because he helped make the deal. So he wouldn't have pulled out of the Iran deal, which we'd be in a much better position with Biden on Iran, on the issue of Iran. You know, when it comes to like North Korea, we might be worse off because Biden has expressed more hawkish sentiments and Trump has actually tried to have dialogue and, and have some degree of peace and actually also have the South Koreans kind of lead the charge on that front to get to get some sort of negotiated settlement. So. There are differences, but unfortunately, in too many ways, there are similarities. And that's what's concerning about Republicans who are in the national security state backing Biden, is that you know you're going to get the status quo. And what I want is not the status quo on foreign policy. I want the exact opposite. I want non-intervention. I want to pull out all these countries that we invaded offensively. I want to stop even the drone war. Like, I want to stop killing civilians. I want to stop policing the world. And unfortunately... Whether it's Trump or Biden, you're still going to get that. It's just going to be different degrees of it. All right, next. Next. So this is beyond parody. Actually, hold on. Let me change the graphic. Let me change the graphic. Here we go. K Street graphic behind me. So this here is honestly beyond parody. I'm not sure I've ever seen anything this brazen before. But The Hill says, Black Latino lobbyists bristle at progressives pushing corporate K Street ban on Biden. You see where this is going? A battle is brewing on K Street over an effort by progressives to ensure a Biden administration is devoid of any former Wall Street executives or corporate lobbyists. Black and Latino lobbyists say a ban of that sort would end up shutting out minorities and could make the administration less diverse if Democrats win back the White House. The the tensions date back to April when eight progressive groups wrote a letter calling on former Vice President Joe Biden to vow not to appoint any current or former Wall Street executives or corporate lobbyists or people affiliated with the fossil fuel health insurance or private prison corporations to his transition team, cabinet, or his top aides. That demand did not sit well with some minority lobbyists who argue that corporate lobbyists shouldn't be denied a spot in the administration. Given the wokeness of these people, I find it odd that they are so comfortable lumping in a large group of people together. They have an agenda that is limiting, and it has always been limiting, said Michael Williams, founder of the Williams Group, one of the few black-owned lobbying shops in D.C. This is rich. This is as rich as it gets, man. He's making the argument, are you a bigot against corporate lobbyists? Well, how dare you? Are you lumping all corporate lobbyists together? Because if you're lumping them all together and saying they're all bad, that's bigotry against corporate lobbyists. He actually made that argument. Given the wokeness of these people, I find it odd they are so comfortable lumping in a large group of people together. 
He's saying, how dare you be bigoted towards all corporate lobbyists? You're going to ban them all from the administration? Seems wrong. What? Amazing. Amazing. Guys, no, here's why I love this article more than anything. Because this is what we've been telling you for years now is the logical end result of this corporatist neoliberalification of identity politics. That sounded very clunky, but you get the point. This is what happens when you have neoliberal corporatists saying, okay, we need to try to find a way to, like, out-left the left. Well, they can't do it on policy because neoliberal corporatists are to the right when it comes to wars. They're to the right when it comes to various economic issues. They're to the right when it comes to health care. So how are they going to out-left the left? Easy. You lean even heavier into identity politics. So, you know, that's where the old joke comes from. Of like, it, it, was, it blew up on Twitter when it originally came out. You see a drone bombing people in the Middle East, and one person says, they say the next one will be sent by a woman. And somebody responds, sure does make you feel like you're part of something special in history or something to that effect. It's like, yes, that's literally the argument. That's the argument. And they're saying it. How dare you want to not want to ban corporate lobbyists from the administration because it, the corporate lobbyists could be really diverse. So I guess you're against diversity. I guess you want fewer minorities in the administration. That's the argument they're making. So, in other words, corruption is okay. Corruption is preferable if, as long as everybody's diverse. We can be corrupt together while being woke and diverse. That's okay. See, this is, of course this was going to happen. Of course this was going to happen. And so then what they'll do is they'll turn around, and they already did. They'll turn around and look at people like me, look at like Justice Democrats and the other groups that called for this ban, and they'll say, bigot, racist. I mean, it's so, like, it's so absurd that it seems like a parody, but no, this is real. This article's real. It's real as a heart attack. What I need everybody to understand is this is how low they're, they're willing to go. So to anybody who's on the left, especially like elected leaders on the left, understand what you're up against because they're going to be immensely dishonest. They're going to be incredible smear merchants to meet their policy ends. And so what drives me crazy is, yes, the establishment and the neoliberal corporatists, they have solidarity all day long with each other. That's why Pelosi just endorsed Joe Kennedy over Ed Markey. You know, they have solidarity with each other, but the left doesn't. The left likes to eat each other alive. Right or wrong? It's exactly right. You think we have a prayer in hell against these people if we don't have solidarity with each other? All we got is each other, and all we got is the people and the policies on our side. That's all we got. So you have to grow a spine, and you have to be willing to call bullshit when there's bullshit. And unfortunately, the left is too willing to, like, bend the knee and, oh, okay, yeah, okay, you're right, fair point, fair point. It's like, no, actually, oftentimes these idiots are not making fair points. Stop even conceding an inch to them. You give them an inch, 
They want to take a foot. This is how low they're willing to go. You're a bigot if you want to do a corporate lobbyist ban because, hey, the corporate lobbyists are going to be diverse, so you're against diversity. Seems like a white brochialist thing to be in favor of, huh? Unbelievably disingenuous. Guys, every newly elected justice Democrat in the midterms was a woman, woman of color. And they still accuse the group of being bigoted. It's like, so do you, again, do you understand? These are not honest actors who you're up against. They're not. They're going to play dirty Machiavellian politics. So you better learn how to be Machiavellian as well and how to fight back. Because unfortunately, what you see is so many people on the left, and you know this, the corporatists know there's a democratic civil war going on, and they fight for their side of that civil war. The progressives like to act like there's not even a democratic civil war. And they love to try to hold hands and sing kumbaya with their enemies. The only power you have as a leftist is is derived from the fact that you're an outsider and you're very popular among the people. You have to use that bully pulpit and take no prisoners. Let the corporatists hate you. Let the media smear you and lean into it. Because you can always fight back. But you have to believe in what you're doing enough to be willing to take this fire. And a a lot of the lefties are not. But here you go. This is what it's going to be like, man. This is what it's going to be like. This is a joke. I mean, it's it's so stunning how shameless it is. But here we are. Okay, next. Trump took shots at Bernard. President Trump took some shots at Bernie recently. This is... It's kind of sad because some of the stuff he says is true. Okay, there, I said it. (laughs) I didn't want to say it. I don't want it to be the case. But some of the stuff he says is true, and it breaks my heart. So anyway, here's Trump lobbing bombs. Because frankly, Bernie Sanders, they have much more enthusiasm than him. But Bernie Sanders, excuse me, again, he's the greatest loser I've ever seen. (laughs) This guy can lose and be so happy. Hillary Clinton, I want to use nice language, so I don't want to word, use a certain word. It starts with the word S, C. I don't want to use it because they'll say he used foul language while in North Carolina, but so I won't do that. But Bernie Sanders got taken advantage of, is that okay? By Hillary Clinton, but worse, by the Democrats this time, because of Pocahontas, Elizabeth Warren, got out of the campaign. One day prior to the Super Tuesday vote, Bernie Sanders would have won every single state because Biden won by a little bit, and she took, she didn't do well, but she took thousands and thousands of votes away in each state. If you add just a percentage of those votes back, that means that Bernie would have won easily the nomination. And I'm glad he didn't because he had much more enthusiasm, and he would have had a base, a small, much smaller base than ours, but equally, I have to say this, equally as enthusiastic. This base doesn't like Joe Biden. They don't like Joe Biden. I think we're going to get a lot of votes. We did last time. People were surprised. Primarily because of trade. Because I know how other countries take advantage of us, and I understand that. And that's something that Bernie Sanders people 
really feel, because I understand trade. Now, the part about trade, let's be clear about something. In Trump's first year, there was 93,000 jobs outsourced. The year before with Obama, it was 87,000. So Obama was bad and then Trump was worse. When it comes to um, NAFTA, he renegotiated it, but there's a giant giveaway to Big Pharma in the renegotiation of NAFTA. So it's not like the corporations are against the new trade deals. He just basically took out the old NAFTA and gave us a new NAFTA. That's also not good. The whole th- remember the whole carrier factory thing where, you know, he act like he saved their jobs? Well, guess what? Within a year, they slowly outsourced the jobs anyway, plus they got a subsidy from the government. So taxpayers paid the company, and then they outsourced the jobs anyway. So he's a fraud on that front. He's actually not good when it comes to trade. Sometimes he says good things, but in terms of his policies and his actions, just not that good. If you look at the effect of his tariffs, now I'm not anti tariff full stop. I think in some instances they make perfect sense. But if you look at the net effect of his tariffs, there's been studies done on this, and there's been a net job loss as a result of the tariffs. So in other words, he's failed with his approach on trade. So he brings up trade like, oh, Bernie people vote for me because I'm good on trade. And you know, if you care about that issue, hey, why not look over here? Nonsense. He's a fraud. Don't fall for that stuff. But listen, outside of that, almost everything else he said was true. <laughs> I mean, it's, I don't think it's true that the Trump base versus the Bernie base in a general election, Trump is making say, I mean, I'd still win and I got a bigger base, but he would have had more enthusiasm. I think Bernie definitely would have won in a head-to-head with Donald Trump. But everything else he said, he said Bernie had more enthusiasm, true. Um, he said the base doesn't like Joe, true. And then he was describing how, listen, if Elizabeth Warren got out before Super Tuesday, then Bernie probably would have won way more states, and then it would have been a totally different race. I, and I got to go a step further, too. So that's not just the case about Elizabeth Warren, where Bernie would have picked off at least like two or three more states that night. Um, but it's also... Everybody knows what Obama did. There, were, there was reporting that Obama called Mayor Pete and Amy Klobuchar and said, hey, listen, we're getting down to the wire here, and I'm going to need you to drop out and endorse Joe so Joe can beat Bernie. And, you know, if you do that, there are probably promises of some sort of position in, in a Biden administration. So they consolidated at the last minute to screw Bernie. And then, listen, some people will look at what Bernie has done since then and argue, like, he's just a bigger man. Like, he's just a bigger man. He's a better man. He's not petty by any stretch of the imagination. So he's doing what he thinks is right. But you got to admit that there's, like, it's not that he is endorsing Biden. It's the way in which he went about it that I think is the thing that is annoying me and many other lefties. Because, you know, there were ways to get more extractions and concessions, and he didn't do it because it would have required playing hardball, and he doesn't have that in him. So when Trump says, like, yeah, he's the greatest loser ever because he'll lose and he just goes right along with whatever they want, that's totally true. He lost, and there was really no inkling of, like, seriously, here are my demands, and if you do these, I'll do X, Y, and Z for you. If you don't do these, I'm just going to sit out. He would have never done that because... It was never a thought to him, like, hey, maybe I'll just sit on the sidelines. 
It was never a thought to him. He wasn't willing to take that risk. So in other words, Biden knew I don't have to give him anything because if he's going to help me no matter what, why would I give him anything? Why would I give the left anything? I don't agree with the left. So yeah, unfortunately, man, broken clock is right twice a day. And a lot of the stuff that he said there was true. And, um, you know, it's weird when people don't acknowledge it. Like, yes, you're a million percent right if you say Trump is just trying to exploit this rift on the left. Absolutely. He's super selfish, super narcissistic. That's the only reason why he would go down this path and even have this conversation. But that doesn't mean that a lot of the stuff he said there isn't true. It is true. It pains me to say it. It is true. I don't think anybody who's a Bernie Sanders supporter should vote for Trump. And I can give you a million and one reasons why that is. Um, but he is the, a master at exploiting that rift. Just so you understand, guys, Donald Trump won 9% of Democrats in 2016. 9%. It's a high number, right? That's a high number. Now, just so, just so you know, it wasn't actually, there weren't many Bernie Sanders supporters who flipped to Trump. There just weren't that many. The numbers showed that it you know, was a very tiny number. But there were a decent number of Democrats who voted for Trump. 9% is a decent number. Um, so he's the master at exploiting this. This is actually one of the first times this election that I've seen him you know, kind of use a strategy that's actually interesting and has promise. Because up to this point, he's been trying to do the, oh, Biden's far left. Biden's far left now and controlled by Bernie, which, by the way, contradicts this, doesn't it? Oh, you know, Bernie really runs the party and Biden is his puppet. The far left is now running the Democrats. They took over the Democrats. Well, which is it? Is it that Bernie's a loser and he got screwed and he still bent the knee to Joe? Or is he the puppet master of Joe? He tried to make both arguments at the same time. So he's contradicting himself. And that makes absolutely no sense. But, you know, needless to say, I think the strategy of what he was doing previously, far left, far left, far left, Marxism, communism, be afraid, all that stuff, that's got no prayer of working, which is why Joe is kind of hanging on at the moment with a, a pretty strong lead in the polls. Trump this time around is not nearly as, he doesn't have nearly as good of a strategy as he did in 2016, and that bodes well for Biden, but Trump did stumble on some truth here. Okay. All right, let's talk about um, Joe Kennedy. We're going to make fun of him. Joe Kennedy is going full Bernie bro smear against Ed Markey. So let me show you what he tweeted. A note to our supporters, grateful to be in this fight with you every day. To the best team in the world, thank you. Today, a lot of folks got a glimpse of what you've dealt with for months. The bullying, the vitriol, the personal attacks on your character and judgment and physical safety. The threats to me and my family are one thing, but it is the attacks on all you that are the most difficult to stomach. Particularly, these attacks are magnified and maximized for women, people of color, and anyone else already disproportionately subject to abuse online. The students and young people in this campaign who are the 
driving force of this operation have seen some of the worst of it. I cannot express how sorry I am that this has been any part variance for you. So just so you understand, the Bernie bro smear was one that worked in the sense that Bernie internalized it and then overcompensated for it and honestly became super weak. He became weak because any criticism was blown up by the media and they were hyperbolic about it as if, oh my God, you're crossing these lines, it's bigoted, it's misogynist, it's this, it's that, how dare you? And Bernie would always have to scold his own people like, oh, stop it, I denounced this. Just nonstop denouncing, you know, somebody in the Bernie team farts. He's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I can't believe that happened. So it's just, you know, it worked in the sense that it took somebody who had a political weapon of very passionate people and it made him almost like, quiet that down, which is terrible. And by the way, it's also obviously the case that stuff is not really abusive. It's just like people shit talking online and it's usually kind of funny. So which gets to the point, like we know what they're talking about here because, you know, I follow all the people who are making fun of Joe Kennedy online. I'm somebody who's making fun of Joe Kennedy online. Dude, we're making fun of you because you're a joke. You're a politician who believes in absolutely nothing. You don't believe in anything. You're a platitude machine. That was We covered a story, you know, the other day where he just, like, he tweeted a video as if it was some sort of poignant thing. And it's just him spewing platitudes and cliches and making no sense and just trying to sound flowery and just, like, he's a shell of, like, JFK or RFK. Like, he's like, what would I be like if I was like them except believed in nothing? And that's how he acted. So, yeah, we're going to make fun of you. Because you're ridiculous. It's called being online. Guys, There, of course, people make fun of me all the time. Anybody who's somewhat known publicly, you're going to get made fun of. It's par for the course, son. That's how this works. You're going to have people who make fun. You're going to have people who say mean things. What did you expect? What did you expect? You're going to get in public life as a Kennedy, a dynasty legacy family. You're going to coast in on your family name and just what? Expect everybody to blow you 24-7 and act like you know, you're super special? Do the work. Be for Medicare for all. Be for a Green New Deal. Be for these left-wing ideas. He's not. And what's he doing? At the last minute, he got Pelosi to endorse him. Pramila Jayapal, who's supposed to be a progressive, bent the knee and endorsed him. Mark Pocant. What a joke. What a joke. And then when they asked Bernie, Bernie wouldn't even say, yeah, I would vote for Marky. They asked him, oh, are you endorsing? Uh, who are you endorsing in this race? So I'm going to stay out of it. And now here we are. They're doing the Bernie bro smear. Marky bros, Ed Marky bros. When you have nothing left to say, you have nothing proactive to run on, what do you do? Play the victim. I'm just going to play the victim. Oh, my God, my feelings, the threats, the bullying, the vitriol. People are just making fun of you, son. Get over it. And I hate that the left feeds into this. Because the left, there's so many people on the left, particularly the leaders, like elected left-wing officials, who if this is brought up to them, they'd be like, oh, yes, I denounce it. I denounce it. Again, you're, in left circles, they struggle to just say, that's bullshit. I don't know why it's so hard, but people on the left who are in leadership positions struggle to just be like, I, that's ridiculous. There's, no, there's not a story here. He's whining because people are mean to him online because he's not doing well in the race and he doesn't stand for anything. That's what it is. But no, 
people will walk on eggshells. I hope Ed Markey doesn't say anything, doesn't do like a BS non-apology, doesn't like finger wag at his people, because the fact that you have passionate supporters who are engaged in the race is a good thing. And no, nobody actually crossed the line. You know, it, and even if somebody did at some point, it would just be one random person. It wouldn't be, there's not like, they try to make it seem like, oh my God, it's a trend of the left being uniquely bigoted and misogynistic. That's what they try to say to shut you up because they know they have no response to the things you're saying when you're pestering them about Medicare for all and free college and a living wage, and you're pestering them about being vapid, empty suits who believe in nothing. So don't pipe down. If anything, do the opposite because what are we going to do? We're going to have the empty suit of a man, the person who believes in nothing, take over from a guy who I have plenty of disagreements with Marky, I'm sure, but... He's one of the leaders on, on the Green New Deal. He's way better than Kennedy, so no. I will not be okay with, you know, this dude coasting to victory with, you know, big money donors, name recognition, and Pelosi's support. So do whatever you can to get Ed Markey elected. Okay. All right, let's talk about what's happening with uh, some breaking news here. Somewhat breaking. So Politico has some pretty wild breaking news here. Four U.S. troops injured in Syria after skirmish with Russian forces. Here we go. Here we go. So the U.S. has about 500 troops in Syria at the moment, primarily in the northeastern part of the country. They say, and Politico writes this, which is stunning, but they say, oh, the reason we're there is that we're fighting alongside Syrian democratic forces against what remains of ISIS. Why are we really there? We don't have to guess. Trump told us we're going to take the oil. He said it. He said it. We're going to go there, and we're going to take the oil, and that's why we're there. That's what's really going on. Um, Now, apparently, they say in Politico, who knows if this is true, because, like I said, they already botched that fact. They didn't bring up that Trump said we're there for the oil. They say, oh, it's to fight ISIS. They say that a Russian vehicle rammed an American vehicle, and a Russian helicopter was flying low over U.S. forces. And apparently they also cite that in 2018 there was a firefight between U.S. soldiers and Russian-backed Syrian government forces. Okay, here's my response. Why are we even in Syria? Get out of Syria. What are you doing? You want to risk a hot war with another nuclear-armed country over what? To jack the Syrian oil? Well, the answer is yes. That's exactly what they're doing. And then they call you a conspiracy theorist if you say, hey, maybe Iraq had something to do with the oil. Hey, maybe Afghanistan has something to do with the trillions of dollars in mineral wealth that they have in that country. Hey, maybe it also has to do with the profits for the military-industrial complex. You're called a conspiracy theorist when you bring that up. But, I mean, look at what's going on, guys. Bring the troops home. We never even approved. This is what we do now. We send troops places we never even approved through Congress. 
Congress has to do a declaration of war. They didn't do that, but he sent the troops anyway. So absolutely needs to pull out. He needs to get out of Syria. There's no good reason to be in Syria. And obviously the only thing that could happen is what we're seeing happen right now, which is some sort of giant escalation with another nuclear-armed power. Now, the other thing is, if Trump pulls out, which is what he should do, but if he were to pull out, what would happen? You and I both know it. The Democrats would immediately accuse him of doing Putin's bidding. Hey, you got into a fight with, with Russian troops. What are you going to do? you going to run away like a little bitch? Were you told to run away by Vlad? This is what they're going to say. Even though the right thing to do is to get out of Dodge, get out of there, if he were to do that, they would say, weak on Putin, doing Putin's bidding. Are you a Manchurian candidate? Are you under his thumb? Sure looks like it. So they're prodding him to be more hawkish, be more aggressive, escalate. That's what they want him to do. This is what the nominal left party is doing in this country, going to the right on foreign policy and on the issue of Russia and Syria. And also, by the way, I'm not letting Trump off the hook here either, because this is the logical end result of an administration that is packed to the brim with neoconservatives, as his is. We shouldn't be in Iraq. We shouldn't be in Afghanistan. We shouldn't be in Syria. We're in all of those places. Now we got into a fight with Russia. What do you expect? You got a bunch of maniac American exceptionalist psychopaths, neocons in your administration, and something like this happens. God forbid, who knows what they're telling them behind closed doors, but I swear you better not listen to them because you know they're saying we got to escalate in return. For the love of God, cooler heads must prevail. Get out of Syria. Get out of the Middle East. We don't need this. Are you kidding me? We have a pandemic. We have a depression. We have climate change you know, leading to an increase in more extreme weather events, wildfires. There's a hurricane about to hit Louisiana and Texas right now. All this stuff going on, and now we got to worry about this too? It's all just too much, guys. It's too much. I'm going to do one more for you. One more before we call it a day, bitch. This story is really something. They never fail to amaze me, the Trump administration. You would think that at this late date, I'd just be so battle-hardened from seeing all the things I've seen. But no, every now and then something comes up where I'm like, oh my God, what? Here it is. In 2018, the Trump administration considered and rejected, thankfully, using a heat ray weapon at the border that uses microwaves to make skin feel like it's burning. It was part of efforts to satisfy Trump's demand for extreme measures to repel migrants. A heat ray weapon that uses microwaves to make skin feel like it's burning. Now, you want to know how I know this story is true? Because Trump has said on camera before that we should have like a moat 
at the border with alligators. All these like medieval, primitive, insane ideas. He's like, we should try that. And then he always said about the border wall too, we need a border wall that's see-through so I could see what's happening on the other side. That would be very nice. Thank you very much. He actually did kind of, to the wherever they have built border wall, it actually is see-through. It's, you know, it's kind of like you can see in between it. But anyway, um, and so I'm, I read this, I'm like, oh, my God, that sounds exactly like something Trump would be in favor of. The fact that he even considered this at any point, the fact that this is, it wasn't laughed out of the room by everybody surrounding him, that says a lot about our country and about our system, doesn't it? You would think that when the topic is immigration, that like you, the root of the problem would be where all the focus is. Because the root of the problem is what? Is the drug war and extreme poverty south of the border. And so if you wanted to address the root causes, you would aid in helping, helping these respective countries create more stable, peaceful environments. If you were to legalize tax and regulate drugs, you put the cartels out of business, which means you would no longer have narco states in control of things south of the border. That alone would be a massive help to stop increasing numbers of immigration that they say they're against. So why would that not be the path for Republicans? Instead, what they want to do is keep doing the drug war, Keep destroying these countries. By the way, how many times have we done regime change in South America in various countries? Do it all the time. We're trying to do it in Venezuela now. So, you know, you would think that you stop overthrowing their governments. You stop doing terrible trade deals, which creates a race to the bottom, which increases poverty. You stop the drug war. I mean, these would be things that would help, but no, they never talk about that. What they do is they want to continue all those terrible policies, exacerbate those policies, make them worse. And then turn around and say, anybody who's trying to escape to find a better life for their kids in the United States of America, which is a totally human thing to do, it's what anybody would do. Anybody who's doing that, they're the enemy. Build a wall, have a moat, maybe some alligators. And if you want us to use our laser gun, our heat ray weapon, that makes it feel like your skin is burning off, that's what we're going to do. It's like we're... It's like... The person in charge is like that creepy sociopathic kid in science class who would take the magnifying glass and burn the ants to death. That's the guy who's running the country. The guy who's running the country is like, what if we lasered them to death? Is that, would you be down with that? Does that make sense? Is that, a, is that good? Imagine thinking like, of all the issues, immigration being one of their top issues, and then this is how they want to handle it. I mean, guys, I just, we just referenced this before, but it's true. They've done detailed studies on crime and immigration. And the fact of the matter is, 
legal immigrants, but also undocumented immigrants, have a lower crime rate than native-born American citizens. So now, I'm, I'm not one to argue that this is necessarily the main criteria that one should look at when evaluating immigration stuff, but the right does use this criteria. They always harp away on crime rates, but immigrants have a lower crime rate. So, you know, if they were actually using their own standard objectively, they would love immigrant communities even more, including undocumented immigrant communities. They would love them even more than native-born American citizens. It's almost like there's something else that goes into it. It's almost like it's not just about the crime rate or any of that. It's almost like there are certain people they do like, and there are certain people they don't like, and maybe the ones they don't like all share certain characteristics, and this kind of influences their response. Like, would if we had Canadians coming in the country in large numbers, would Trump say, hey, maybe we should have a, a, a heat ray weapon that we use on Canadians trying to get in? I don't think so. Because remember, this is a guy who famously said the shithole countries thing. Like, why does everybody always want to come here from shithole countries? That's him saying, like, I mean, I'm fine with white people coming in here, but why do non-white people have to come in here? Oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, heat ray weapon that uses microwaves to make skin feel like it's burning. By the way, how, is it possible to make skin feel like it's burning without it actually burning? Because I read that and think, wouldn't it just actually be burning? I can't believe that under this guy's watch, we had a pandemic that hit us, and now 175,000 people are dead and rising. I'm surprised that a guy this intelligent and this prepared couldn't meet that moment. I'm surprised he couldn't meet you know, the moment of 20% real unemployment. I'm stunned. Okay. And on that note, y'all... We done, we done, we done. I love you. Everybody stay safe out there. I had a lot of fun making fun of the Republicans today with the RNC. And I will probably be watching the rest of the RNC and making fun of it, live tweeting it, all that fun stuff. Anyway, love you guys. I'll talk to you soon. Much love. Peace.